Greetings, I am Hardin Coleman, Faculty Director of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at the Boston University Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. Welcome to the Caring Character and Community Podcast. In this podcast, we are bringing together a variety of people who are working to create conditions that support the learning, development, and thriving of children and youth in order to engage in conversations about the work they're doing and its implications for education and supporting human flourishing. We're particularly interested in hearing how these leaders integrate an ethic of care, sense of character, a commitment to equity, and a focus on community into the work, and the role that each of these plays in the outcomes they have achieved. So Andrew and Renee, uh, welcome um, to the podcast. We really appreciate you, you sharing your time with us. And really what we want to spend some time with you about is learning what you guys are doing to help create uh, conditions in which youth can thrive, particularly with your focus on this combination of caring uh, community with a focus on equitable access to um, educational opportunities. So I want to start out with each of you sharing a little bit about the work you do, uh, some of the what, what really gets you up in the morning excited. And what are the things that are, are challenges for you and then get and engage in some kind of uh, conversation about how you how you amplify the good and, and, and address the challenges. So, Renee, I just wonder if you could start with the work you do in Chicago. Sure, happy to do so. Uh, my name is Verne Green, as you said. Um, with I'm the CEO of Mikva Challenge, which is an organization that uh, was started off in Chicago and now has very much a national reach. Um, I am a former Chicago public school teacher. I'm really proud uh, mm -hmm. of that. Um, so excited to be leading uh, our work, which is really to develop young people to be informed, engaged, and active civic leaders who will promote a just and equitable society. And we do that work in two ways. Um, we have some staff who work directly with young people. We run some student advisory councils here in Chicago that have relationships with the CEO of schools, as well as um, some of the uh, safety and justice you know, leaders in the city of Chicago. And then in order to really expand our reach, um, we work directly with teachers who then can use our curriculum in their classrooms. And mm -hmm. uh, that's actually a lot of what I'll probably talk about today um, mm -hmm. is how we you know, support and train teachers to build what we call democratic classrooms so that uh, they're building community um, and empowering students um, to feel um, a sense of community and feel heard mm -hmm. in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered all your questions. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, so, so when you get up in the morning, so it's early yeah. for you in Chicago today, and, and, and what are the things <laughs> that you say, I'm so happy, I'm so excited to do what and, 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 and why? And what, what? Uh, yeah. And this is actually a good morning to think of that. Last night I was at a we have a mayoral election uh, in Chicago mm -hmm. and I was at a candidates forum with two young people and, uh, you know, waiting to ask questions of the candidates. And one of the young people, young man, young black male, um, when he walked into the TV studio, he looked and then saw the candidates walk in and Reverend Jesse Jackson was in and lots of different civic leaders in Chicago. He turned to me and he goes, this is the coolest thing ever. You know, I cannot yeah. believe that I have this opportunity yep. to mm -hmm. be in this space. And that mm -hmm. for me is like, what is most exciting is I was mm -hmm. that 
kid. I actually met Reverend Jackson when I was in high school yeah. um, in St. Louis. So to have this like full circle moment where, you know, opportunities that teachers brought to me, especially um, things that just couldn't, you know, happen necessarily in the classroom, being able to bring some of these um, extended opportunities to students mm-hmm. is something that I, I get really jazzed about because it's, yeah. it's what made me me. So it's like yeah. making future leaders is, is something that I feel really passionate about. And so that's what gets me up in the morning. So I, I'm as excited. I got, I got just really filled up yesterday uh, from his excitement. That's great. So I want, I go and ask a question that I, that a conversation that I'm engaged in, in a lot of different communities is that you get this great story about all the work you're doing. And then here's this moment, this, this, this moment that brings it alive when this, when this young man says, Oh, wow, this, this, I can see why this is meaningful and get going. You have your story of how this was an important part of motivating for you. And all my, um, so many of my friends would say, see, it's about serving the individual. It's getting that opportunity for the individual. Why are we talking about the system? You know, yeah. it, it, it really, it's about getting individuals to be resilient and overcome, find themselves, grow, uh, this is the yeah, as you as you know the conversation and the the back and forth between social emotional learning the character conversation these are theories of of the world so how do you think through the power of that individual uh, experience with a theory of the need for system change. Yeah, well, one, because this individual and even these two students who were with me last night are part of a larger group. They're part of Mm -hmm. one of our youth councils. And they both, as they walked away, were like, we can't wait till we get back to council next week so that we can share with everybody else what we saw and learned, Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. as they talked a lot about like, my parents, you know, have not either been engaged or have been engaged. And now I have this additional information. So they see themselves as players within Mm -hmm. the system. The other piece is that, um, at least in Chicago, the mayor controls a lot of the various systems, the education system, they appoint the, the CEO of schools, they appoint the superintendent of, you know, police a lot of the systems that impact young people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, are decided mm -hmm. by that one election. And Mm -hmm, so really mm -hmm. helping young people to see the role that they play or Mm -hmm. the role of these individuals play in all of the ecosystems Mm -hmm. that impact the transportation system, how they got home, you know, Mm -hmm. last night, excuse me, is impacted by that one election. And so we very much uh, teach them. And it's just critical that they understand the place that the individual plays in the entire city and in the entire system and how that vote contributes to what happens in the larger city. So you would you be comfortable with an emphasis on the both and? That oh, absolutely. Either or, that it's really a both and, that you can't say, I'm just going to work with individuals and get them strong so they can take on the system. It's also how do we think about system change? And those both have to be operational in order for us to really create conditions with kids can thrive. Absolutely. And I'll give you another example. I work, I took a year off um, after being a counselor to work in public policy. I was working on a master's degree um, and I had a policy job. And at first I was like, oh, I'm burnt out from schools. Everybody gets that to that point. Um, And I went and worked in policy. But during that time, and I was working on transportation policy here in in the state of Illinois, but and I was realizing that um, there was a new train line that was coming to the neighborhood 
in which I had just been a teacher and how that was impacting housing um, costs in that neighborhood, how that was impacting access to jobs. And I stayed in that role for about a year and a half and went back to schools because I wanted students to understand that there were systems around them. There were people making decisions about their very life while they were in school doing homework and going to practice and all of those other things. People were making decisions about them and their lives that were going to impact them. And they had no idea. They had no knowledge of that. And all of the housing, transportation, all the things that were barriers to a lot of things that students were bringing to me, you know, as their teacher and then later as their guidance counselor were coming up because they, they were systems that were making, like I said, decisions and impacting them directly. So I went back um, into education, into the classroom after that experience with policy because I, I felt like I had more information and could be more effective in messaging to the students how they needed to be concerned. So again, you know, my time at Mick was very much a full circle moment from all of that. Yeah, wow. So so I'm going to turn to Andrew because that, you kind of gave him this idea, the, the idea that there's the value of a lived civics, edu- civics education in terms of helping our children uh, find their voice in the system is central. So Andrew, I wanna turn to you and, and ask you if you could share the work you're doing. And again, what what, what excites you about getting going in the day? Absolutely. Uh, Andrew Wilkes, um, work at Generation Citizen as the chief uh, policy and advocacy officer. Uh, and in many ways, uh, Generation Citizen is kind of has a, a, a sisterly spirit to what uh, Mick Challenge does. So it's great to, to be uh, in conversation with all of y'all today. Uh, a big part of what Generation Citizen does, uh, continuing the thread of the conversation, is is working to uh, make sure that uh, students as rising young leaders can get access to a comprehensive, hands-on, project-based uh, action civics education. Uh, so there's a classroom component that we're doing in about eight states um, across the country, working uh, to coach teachers to make sure that they're prepared to lead dynamic, exciting classroom experiences. Uh, But then there are also two other components that speak to the systems change dimension that we spoke about, Uh, one of which is working on policy advocacy and field building to make sure that social study standards and legislation federally and at the state level creates conditions conducive for action civics and uh, in some ways a wider form of civics education to take place. Uh, But then thirdly, um, youth civic leadership development uh, making sure that young folks feel supported and have the skill building that strengthens their youth civic leadership journey, uh, but also making sure that uh, they can be scaffolded into opportunities uh, to self-advocate for changes that they want to see in systems to make their uh, issues that they choose uh, to make some some traction on those things. Sometimes that's education policy. Other times it's mental health Um so really excited uh, to be with you today, Harden, and uh, hopefully it gives a bit of a snapshot of some of what we're up to. So two questions. One, what would you say when you, excites you in the morning about coming to the work you do? What, what draws you to that and, and, and rings your bell? So so many things. Uh, what rings the bell? I love, love the way you pose the question. Um, I'll, I'll start with... Um, what I particularly love uh, now in the springtime is a moment where a lot of state legislatures uh, are considering uh, education policy, things from what funding levels will be for schools to uh, will we start a civics education commission or a SEALS program. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to have an opportunity pretty frequently to interact with 
legislators, chiefs of staffs, policy aides, which is part advocacy and sometimes, mm-hmm. honestly, part education because our lawmakers can't be abreast of every single issue and all its granularity. And so I have an opportunity sometimes to come alongside folks and to say, well, here may be an opportunity to strengthen instructional practice, or this may be an opportunity uh, to make sure we take a more holistic approach to civics and government. So a a question for both of you. Um, The logic of what you do is so powerful. Helping youth understand what are the systems that, that, how they can be active, engaged citizens. Helping teachers prepare conditions in which they can learn and practice those skills. And then working with the larger system to kind of enact legislation and facilitate conditions for this type of of action civics to be available to all kids makes just a lot of sense, right? I mean, it's a lot of logic. What are are the source of resistance to this work or the barriers for more universal implementation of the type of uh, opportunity uh, for civic engagement that you provide for youth, what are the barriers for that? And what are the res- and barriers is one thing, but also resistance. Where does that where does that live? Really, really great question. I can uh, maybe start, and then I'm, I'm sure Benay uh, will hop in here as as well. Um, in terms of resistance, I, I think a part of what um, we see a lot of it generation citizen is making sure folks understand that that action civics is um a youth led student agency emphasizing approach to pedagogy and instructional practice uh, and so it's it's not as though teachers are unilaterally uh determining the issues which students actually themselves are are selecting uh so that that's one thing that note but the other piece is that um and this is a way of perhaps addressing the barrier as well as how to kind mm-hmm. of transcend it in some ways. Um, highlighting the action civics actually cuts across building civic knowledge, civic dispositions, and civic participatory skills rather than only building civic participatory skills. And so the degree to which action civics builds uh, analytic capacity through youth participatory uh, research is, is one way, for instance, that students develop an informed uh, critical thinking approach to democracy. Uh, And so that's an an area of constant underscoring and underlining to make sure people see the full picture. How about you, Pranay, from from what you said, what are the the barriers and challenges that you you engage in terms of uh, extending your work uh, across more schools and more, more areas? Yeah, um, I one agree with um, the comments that that Andrew made. Also, uh, again, uh, acknowledging the very uh, connection that the two um, organizations have. We serve on a lot of committees and panels uh, together, and have a lot of um, uh, sort of overlap um, in the approaches that we are taking. I would say just one additional barrier is just. The resistance to social studies, social studies education, um, is is a it's a huge barrier. Um, historically, it's not been an area that you know a lot of schools you know focus on what's being tested, and in a lot of ways, social studies is not 
you know, a, a testing area. There are state standards and, and improvements have made certainly since I've been in the classroom um, when it really didn't matter what I what I taught because it wasn't testing area, So no one no one cared. But it still doesn't have the um, attention, uh, you know, student. Uh, I don't know if um, people always make the connection between literacy and social studies and writing and social studies and many of the skills that they want students to have are often taught in social studies and civics classrooms. So just that is is one um, huge barrier to the work. Also, the, the money, the funding allotted to it, you know, there's a very vast difference in the investment made in social studies and civics education at a federal level, the, the funding that is given yep. to schools for that subject matter. So, you know, you 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 do what's measured and you do what you have money for. And yep. so, you know, there's so much significant amount. I think it's five cent versus $50 per student compared wow. you know, social studies and civics if you compare it to some of the STEM topics. And so making sure that um, people have make space for this kind of instruction. Um, and it's hard when there's not an incentive to make space for this kind of in instruction, whether it's because it's you know related to a standardized test or the, the actual standards or money. Um, and then as Andrew mentioned, you know, there's just a black backlash in this country at this moment around history, um, as yep. well as around action civics, as well as around having students in some ways be free thinkers. You know, even last night in the conversation I was having with the young people, our mayoral candidates have very different opinions around um, safety. And one of the young people said, you know, I don't think they have a shared understanding of what safety is and what safety means to me as a yep. young person. And it wasn't any kind of thing that I said to her. She sat in the debate, listened to the conversation came, and thought about how it impacted her life. And that's happening in classrooms across the country where young people are absorbing the news, absorbing the curriculum, thinking about how that impacts them directly and are formulating you know, their own thoughts and opinions. And it's being spun as they are um, being coached to move in a particular area. And some of that, quite frankly, is adultism. You know, we don't think that young people um, can have this these kind of thoughts and are able to think critically when we find in our work, even as young as kindergarten, when we bring issues to young people, they are able to, again, think about it in the context. They bring their own expertise to that topic. They bring their own experience to that topic. They build empathy by talking to one another in their classrooms and hearing the things that are most important to their co their classmates and colleagues and able to, to form opinions really really well um and but there's um there's a lot of negative attention around uh action civics um that's being labeled as something that it's it's quite frankly not so are you i i hear in that one of the challenges to your work is a adult discomfort with well-developed student voice and that a theory of children being able to understand their values understand what they believe in and take action to acquire it makes some adults anxious and and I want to leave, and and I I really appreciate the fact that you've let out. You're not 
label using the political labels to describe mm -hmm. that process. We can know we we can we know what those are. But you but is that is it, am I hearing that correctly? That there is a a deep discomfort in many areas with a well developed student voice and what that may mean. I think there's deep discomfort in just a well-engaged citizenry, and, and it and it starts it starts with young people, and mm -hmm. yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. How about you, Andrew? How do you see that? I I agree with with both of those points. That's I think there's a measure of discomfort with well-developed student voice, um, discomfort to Renee's um, great elaboration with um, a well-engaged citizenry. Um, and I think the opportunity there is to elevate the importance and the impact of cross-generational partnership for informed democracy. When teachers and students work together, when um, elders in community and young folks that are beginning to discover and activate their voice work together, mm -hmm. that's the best of democracy in motion. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. highlighting that as what we want to move towards, I, I think is the opportunity. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, we're not trained again. I'm going to use my, my teacher hat. We're not necessarily trained um, to deal with with conflict and, you know, hearing different perspectives and coming from different, you know, different sides is conflict. And so a lot of it is managing someone who thinks this way versus someone who thinks this way and, and creating space for them to have that healthy debate, that healthy discourse, that healthy conversation. Um, and, and that's hard. And again, I won't just, I won't just say teachers aren't trained as, as, as individuals, you know, many yeah. of us are conflict diverse. And so having hard conversations, hearing someone else's perspective that may feel different from yours without taking it personally, like all of that is, you know, it's a higher level skill. Um, and that's hard to contain when there, there are 25 different voices um, that bring different perspectives in, but that's also where the learning takes place. So being a facilitator of that discussion versus, you know, standing in front and and directing where someone's thoughts go, it's a different skill set. And, you know, we spend a lot of time um, supporting and coaching, you know, teachers to be able to create that environment because that's also how students become engaged. Now, when yep. they feel that the, you know, the information, the curriculum is just given to them and they've got to digest it and take it, it's different when it's like, no, actually, let me, let me hear your perspective, what you think, and let me hear your arguments and, and why you see the world or this particular matter um, or this material in this way, challenge me. Um, that's, that's, that's a different skill set. In a different comfort zone too. You know, it, it, this is this is very exciting. Uh, one of the motivations for this podcast was uh, my lived experience of touching, spending time in the equity world, spending time in the character development world, spending time in the civics world, and then spending time in the social emotional learning world. Right, and there's four worlds all around kid development, uh, thriving children. We all want very similar outcomes, but somehow they don't, there's not a conversation that the then between those four groups somehow doesn't take, uh, live well um, among, in, 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 particularly as we look at the structures of schools. But as I listen to your conversation about what the work that you do around uh, action civics, 
students learning how to hear their own values, their own experience, begin to learn how to have difficult conversations uh, with each other, uh, how to see how they can take action, sounds exactly to me like what the conversation about how do we create uh, environments in which kids belong. Belonging and connection and community is a huge issue in the social emotional learning world and in a lot of schools. And then when you get in conversations with people about doing equity in schools, it's often how do we get the parents to be engaged and the kids and find student voice. And I'm wondering whether you, in your world, how you find ways to interact with those groups of thinking about how action civics could be part of the academic home for belonging, difficult conversations, sense of engagement in my school, in my community, all of which we know when kids have, they're better prepared to perform in schools and move on, you know, to find their careers, be life ready. So how do you, does that make, is that, am I making that up or am I just imposing, you know, that, that is my, you know, I, I would love the answer to be yes, but uh, I don't want to uh, impose my ideas on you. So does that make sense? And if so, where, where, where could those different groups find space to spend more time working proactively together? Yeah, I can tackle the, the first part and think a little bit about the second. Um, the, from the first part, yes, I think the way that we approach our work, we feel like it's just good teaching. It's not mm -hmm. just teaching of civics. And we've had teachers across um, academic concentration areas use some or all of our curriculum just to set up a strong classroom. You know, we have mm -hmm. um, building community is important, you know, and at the beginning of a, a school year, um, helping students to find their voice and to find belonging at the beginning, because if they don't do that, then they're not interested in the subject matter. And so I agree with you, you know, we've worked with a lot of schools that have just said this, these are just good teaching practices. Yep. And no matter what you what you teach, we should be using, you know, this content, you know, helping a young person, you know, find their voice is a skill that takes them all the way through. You know, one of my um, theories is that, and I haven't proven and I'm still waiting on a, a, an academic study, is that the skills they learn through our work at MICFA Challenge are the skills that will help them persist through college and career because it is that agency, it's that advocacy, is that sense of, you know, being a Black student on a majority white campus, you know, how do I feel that I belong here? How do I develop the skills to go and ask my professor questions? How do I show up at office hours? How do I lift my voice in a classroom with people who may look like me or may not, may have different experiences than I do? And that's that's not it's not necessarily um, the content, but it is about being an engaged citizen and engage civic leader. And mm -hmm. so what we mm -hmm. have learned and what yep. we have seen is that through this work, this is just good teaching. And again, teachers in science, teachers and gym teachers, you know, several have said, I use the um, the content and the, the curriculum to help me set the structure for a positive, um, socially emotionally focused um, classroom where students feel like they belong, have agency, are, are engaged. So I, I completely agree with you there and have heard that from 
um, teachers as well as district leaders. Mm-hmm. Great. How about you, Andrew? How, how, how do you resolve that challenge? I'd say the the same. We we released a report some years ago on action civics um, and insights from district leaders where we interviewed about 11 district leaders across the country, a lot of them social studies leads, some superintendents. Uh, And a part of what we saw is that action civics is related through some of the interviews and anecdotal conversations we held uh, with belonging, with connection, with, with also things like bridging, forging hard fought consensus in the classroom and making sure that the wider school culture also helps what happens in the classroom to, to get legs. So uh, principals, district leaders, uh, social studies staff, where, where they uh, exist in districts have capacity for that, can all help for these skills to uh, be formed in the schoolhouse, but then migrate to the workplace, to participation in other community venues. I, I think there's absolutely a connection there. Uh, and then to your other point about um, active civics potentially being an academic home for these worlds, SEL, yep. civics, um, and other dimensions of development. I, I think there is a natural convergence and in, in home of, of those things in action civics, as well as uh, action civics speaking to those dimensions of, of, of our um, life and society as well. Yeah. Is, is part of that, and then, and then, I hope I don't step into it here. Is part of that focusing on the conversation about equity, about drawing a clarity between saying um, it's not just a conversation about outcomes, it's really about having transparent access to opportunity. And that that's what equity, you know, how do we make sure? that it's clear to all families and children in our school that they have that there's they have access to opportunity and the barriers to that access are systematically removed and that that's the core of equity and that a action civics curriculum help our students and faculty understand how in their immediate context and others, they can remove those barriers to access. As opposed to a important, but maybe distracting for some focus on equity is really just about uh, minority student achievement. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 on one. They you 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 can hear the things I the the narratives and yeah. how they impact decisions and engagement. We both we've we've both been in communities where uh uh that when the equity voice comes up, there are people who lead mm-hmm. who agree with our outcome because it feels like we've changed the conversation. Yeah, and and. It- Part of what I'm thinking is, you know, when we talk about our work, we're not we're not just talking and we're not just saying action civics is for minority students and for mm-hmm. you know, black and brown youth, for young people in rural areas. Um, we've had you know lots of discussions in you know some of the work that we do in, you know, up, um, uh, upper Michigan and, you know, rural areas in New Hampshire where we've been able to 
um, use our curriculum and work with teachers and again, amplify voices, um, help to amplify voices and create opportunities for students um, in spaces that um, where they feel unheard or um, devalued, you know, all of that. And it, it's not necessary, it's not just around lines of race. Um, it's, it's the investment in, in young people um, in rural areas is just as important. Um, mm-hmm. And even, and I will say, and, and I don't want to limit it to it. I'm not sure. I think I'm skating away from your question a little bit, but there are young people in well-resourced areas who also have used the action civics curriculum, have used our curriculum and have gained perspective and, and have also felt like they've been able to be challenged and heard and um, pushed. And at the same time, because we've we've, uh, had some events, several events where we brought all of those groups together. And that to me is powerful. When you hear students from well-resourced schools, you hear students from urban areas, you hear students from rural areas all talking about the same issue. Their approach to mental health, their perspective on mental health may be different, but they're all impacted by it. And I say mental health because it is one of the issues, and Andrew, you mentioned this as well, that raises to the top when you ask students, when you ask teachers, what's the issue that you are most impacted by? Mental health rises to the top very easily. They may all come into that conversation because, again, you start you start as an individual with your own perspective as they do some research. And that's where we push them to. They gain a different understanding. But then when you bring those three groups together and hear them talk across those lines of difference, which is one of my favorite parts of the work, too, is to bring young people who are different together and to hear them talk about their schools and then develop this empathy for one another and then begin to work together to think about whether that's collectively why we have them together, but most especially when they walk away and go back into their respective spaces, they have a perspective that is different. So it's not getting to your equity question, but it, it does focus on the equity of making sure that you know the work that we do is not limited to a particular region or a particular area yep. which unfortunately some of the policies um are forcing that to happen there are areas where we cannot do action civics because of the political climate and it's yep. actually a loss to us as a country um to do that yeah yeah okay. well, love to hop, hop in there and and first um echo and 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 hardy um point of agreement to everything that Renee has, has shared. Um, w- would share to your um, question, Harden, uh, about um, equity. I, I think it has to do not only with a concern towards uh, access to opportunity, uh, but also with a concern for the whole, for the collective and, and inclusion as, as well. Mm-hmm. And so a part of what I think civics does and action civics in, in particular uh, is to create space for folks um, across uh, dimensions of race, across dimensions of place, uh, across uh, increasingly um, where folks enter in terms of being multilingual, uh, but also helping to strengthen other parts of the civic learning continuum. And so Action Civics helps to build media literacy and helps to build facility and discussing current events and other key aspects of civics, uh, simulations of democratic procedures. One of the things that our our teachers do with a lot of students is 
um, understanding how the constitution is designed and how it's worked and also creating your own kind of constitution to get a sense yep. of checks and pow- checks and balances in real time and some of those key dimensions of how to design political systems. And so I, I think making sure that that kind of dynamic hands-on education doesn't just happen in well-resourced districts, but happens in every kind of district, regardless yep. of staffing, regardless of funding, really helps to elevate um, a sense of belonging everywhere. And so that yep. kind of universal frame that you mentioned earlier, I think is important. Uh, but the second thing that I'd share, uh, which is also something that has kind of brought all of us together in some ways, um, uh, Generation Citizen uh, has been leading a multi-stakeholder initiative um, around equity and civics, uh, which is really uh, based on using research and things like listening tours, having conversations with uh, communities that are uh, directly engaged, students, parents, uh, educators, so that we can elevate their insights um, and their context expertise, along with the content expertise that some of us may be bringing, so that we can mix them all together and Hopefully, the result is uh, more equitable, more democratic school cultures and, and better civic learning for everyone. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for your time. And I, and I know we, we, this is a conversation we, can, we could do for, for a, a much long time. I look forward to the, the committees we're working together to, to deepen this work. I want to, but I want to leave with a, a question that I'm stealing, uh, stealing and modifying from Ezra Klein. So what are the three things, either a book, an essay, a podcast, a video, a movie that you recommend people uh, listen to, to deepen their understanding of the work that you all do around um, um, action civics in a way that uh, is uh, transformative for either the youth involved or the communities in which they live. So what are the three things that you would recommend our listeners to uh, uh, pick up? So Andrew, I'll let you go first. Sure, sure. Uh, thank you, Hart, for, for, for cutting through the, the musing that uh, Renee and I both <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the first <laughs> that I, I'd note, because I think it responds to those who may have good faith points of understanding, uh, good, good faith points of inquiry around action civics. There's the article in the Constitu- Constitutionalist uh, called Action Civics Should Be Celebrated, Not Banned. Um, mm-hmm. That's one I, I'd include. Uh, a second um, uh, piece that I would include that I think speaks powerfully, um, there is a report um that uh we did some time ago uh called through um an action civics lens it's kind of a 50 state report of the different degrees of not only action civics but experiential participatory civics happening at the standards level through laws through uh different branches of government so through courts as as well uh so we'll lift that up as a resource uh and then thirdly it's, it's always tricky to complete the the, the triad um I would name, um, there's a podcast that um, our CEO, Elizabeth Clayroy, did um, some time ago where she she talked really powerfully about how civics builds collaboration across sectors. The name of it escapes me, uh, but but she she does um, uh, public-facing engagement on civics so powerfully that, that I, I feel confident saying anything that she, she does. Um, yeah. Great entry point. Great, great. Thanks. How about you, Renee? 
I'm like you, Andrew. I was like, I've definitely got two. It's it's the third <laughs> one. Um, the uh, we there are uh, researchers at DePaul University, um, Molly and Alina and Hillary Conklin um, wrote a, uh, a white paper for AERA in 2019, fostering democratic and social emotional learning and action civics program factors that shape students learning from Project Soapbox, which is one of um, uh, the uh, signature you know, programs in, in our curriculum. Um, that That's one um, that I would definitely recommend. We always send that out you know, to folk as they are trying to understand you know, our work. Um, the second may be a little bit selfish, uh, Mikva Challenge website. I would encourage people um, to come just because we have a number of you know videos and you know other materials for students for um people to see and ex- experience the work you actually get to hear directly from young people um and filter through and and watch them you know deliver a soapbox speech there are some videos from you know some of our gatherings there's a a, a video about uh, student voice committees in Rochester, Rochester, New York. So just some really interesting ways to see and experience the work that uh, we do. So mcfachallenge.org have to, to be selfish and, great, and do a play, yeah. uh, a play there. Um, and then I'm, I'm actually looking as you're asking the question, I keep coming back to, because um, I believe um, Angelina and Conklin did two pieces of research and, and, and update. That's the one that keeps coming back. Um, can I uh, offer up the third? I'm, I'm like Andrew. Like, there's another one on the tip of my tongue. Can I offer yeah. up a third as a as a follow up that um, yeah. I can send and submit later? That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that, and I deeply value the work you guys do. And thank you. and I know that this is, um, you know, when we look back on our history, it's the it's it's, it's people like yourselves who are in their communities working hard collaborating across different places that drives our democracy. So thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much. The third, I will say the third I was thinking about was just anything related to um, Tufts University's uh, circle, um, just because there's a lot of research on just student data, student voting, you know, what happens when students feel engaged. And so I don't have a particular um, study to cite, but we often connect with their work and use their research as we try to amplify, you know, it it shows sort of the long-term impact of uh, working um, collaboratively with with students and empowering them, how they stay um, becoming civil. You know me with my late processing. It's like, it's coming, um, but just studying that circle are important as well. That's great. That's two, two, two great resources. So thank you very much. I uh, hope you have a great day. And uh, I know that I, I'll be seeing in, I'll be seeing you soon in, in, uh, in one of our meetings. So looking forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate that. Andrew, always happy to be uh, connected uh, in this way. So thank you. Same, Renee. And enjoy hard. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. the Caring, Character, and Community podcast from the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. I'm Hardin Coleman, and I co-produce this podcast with Elizabeth Barquet with support from BU Wheelock. The music you're hearing is Bluesy Vibes by Doug Maxwell, courtesy of Media Right Productions.